0: Hello, everybody. Hey, and welcome to the Surge Group Q&A live webinar. All right. Well, just so everyone is aware, we are recording this webinar. So we're going to go ahead and stop videos as we see people turn them on. So um, just know that your camera's off, muted. Make sure you're putting questions in the chat. And should we jump right in, get started?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I, I know some people are already saying where they are from. So please feel free to uh, put that in the chat as well, uh, where you're from. We'd like to see where everybody's coming from today. But yeah, let's do it. All right, so welcome to the SERS Group Spring
0: 2023 Q&A webinar. We did have some people who submitted questions ahead of the webinar, and then we are also going to take any questions you may have during the webinar, so feel free to put those questions in the chat. If you put them in all caps, we're more likely to see it, so make sure you make us aware. Um, Also, feel free to use that chat to communicate with each other, Um, but we thought we'd start with a little bit about who we are.
1: Hey, look, it's us. That's us. (laughs) I'll let you start since your picture is first. Oh, sure. Uh, Well, (laughs) I am Barbara. Um, I am act like Barbara on Instagram and Twitter and other places. Um, I am a coach. Uh, I, aside from uh, co-founding the SIRS group with JC, I also do a business coach and fitness coaching facilitation over at the uh, Tom School of Life. Uh, But And also, I offer one on one coaching as well. Um, Generally, for people who are doing the transition from work to owning their own business and that sort of fun stuff, but also financial stuff, any kind of life stuff. um, That is me. And I'm JC.
0: I uh, am the co founder of the Sears Group with Barbara. I am Lady Carnivory on Instagram. I have been a carnivore for three years and kind of midway through my carnivore journey, I became very sick with an autoimmune condition and kind of thought that was going to be the level of pain I would have to live the rest of my life. And so I was really excited to find out about SIRS. But when I started looking into SIRS, it was very much this thing of, all of the information is provider facing and really overwhelming. And so we um, set out to make this group in order to provide information and resources for people at their level and really speak patient to patient. So kind of with that said, the disclaimer here is Barbara and I aren't medical professionals. We are experienced SERS patients, as well as, you know, having the combined experience of all of our group members and what they share with us. So a little bit about our community, um, so we run the searchgroup.com you can join us over there. There we have people who share, it's kind of a, a forum Type environments so you can share your experience, ask questions. You have the support of the entire community and the you know combined brain power of the entire community over there. We'll also do um, some coaching. So if you're interested in that, definitely reach out to us. And then we also have resources available on the group. So if you're looking for more information or you know, specific resources to do with SERS testing or remediation or sourcing medicine, um, we have that available in the group as well. All right. So that's the end of our spiel. We'll get onto the Q&A section. So Barbara, did uh, I'm not in the chat. Was there anything you wanted to start with?
1: Uh, we uh, have our first question from Tosca. Um, how long did it take you on full dose CSM or cholestyramine to get to the last step VIP spray? Great question. Um, so both
0: Barbara and I actually didn't take cholestyramine. Cholestyramine is the like big SIRS binder. So when we're talking about SIRS, it's that genetic predisposition to being really bad at eliminating a biotoxin, and then you encounter that biotoxin. So you end up taking biotoxin binders. They're very specific. The two main ones are either cholestyramine or well we happen to both take WellCall. It's slightly less effective than cholestyramine. It has 25% of the receptor sites that actually grab onto the biotoxins. And it took me a full, uh, full dose. I would have been six months to get to VIP. How about yourself? Let's
1: see. I was, I started in July. I think I started VIP in um, December, I wanna say. So, yeah, uh, roughly around the same amount of time. Uh, for me. But, you know, there are people who have to be on binders for closer to a year before they can move on. It depends on your environment, it depends on the length of your exposure, your original exposure. Because um, some people, you know, remember, some people are growing up in moldy environments. And it's like a family home. They live in their entire childhood. Someone with that kind of background is going to maybe take longer to heal by the time they're ready to do SERS treatment than someone like me, for example, I think most of my mold exposure came from nine months that I was bartending in a particular building about eight years ago. So that's, it. just like, I think those things matter um, when you're trying to decide like, or figure out like how long this stuff will take you.
0: I definitely think like typical timeline we've seen is like 12 to 18 months for people it seems to be really normal. And even for myself, you know, after six months on the binder, I'm expecting at least six months on VIP. Right. As, so next question, are there any other toxins that will activate SIRS other than lime and MOLT? Yes,
1: Brenda, there are.
0: <laughs> so, um, there's, Six main haplotypes to do with the biotoxins involved with SIRS. Um, it can be things like vaccine. Long COVID is a newly identified biotoxin. There's also, um, you know, there's the fisteria, the fish bacteria, toxic algae, uh, bacteria. A big thing in SARS right now is actinomyocytes. Sorry, actinomycetes, which are the bacteria that are attracted to mold. So there are a lot of different biotoxins. And there's weird ones too. We did an episode about this on our podcast about things like foreign bodies in your side, your body, like a breast implant illness is technically a biotoxin because it's a toxin your body can't eliminate.
1: Yep. Yeah, I, I would say any anything like that. I'm actually, you know, TMI. I'm, I have a copper IUD that I will be removing very soon just to, again, eliminate any possible extra things. Uh, you know, just knowing that I have SIRS, you have to be a little bit more careful about what you allow into your body, which is a weird thing to say, but I just said it. <laughs> um, next question. Uh, why is it not recommended to take binders and spray at the same time?
0: I think that this question is um, very nuanced. So A, it's, it's not that it's not recommended that you take the binders and spray at the same time, you totally can. And there's some people who it's indicated they should take low dose VIP before they take the binder so that they can tolerate the binder better. Um, I would say that the Shoemaker protocol in general is laid out in a way that produces the best domino effect so that you get the biggest bang for your buck along each step. So by starting with the binders, it's kind of like that's your biggest lever to being able to move forward. Whereas if you started with something like gut healing, your body's not going to be able to actually um, do anything with that protocol because you haven't started with step one, which is eliminating the biotoxins, which will then allow your body to heal. So I wouldn't say that, um, it's not recommended to do them at the same time. It's really up to your shoemaker protocol and it's going to be a very bio individual thing.
1: Yeah. And just as an example, I think JC and I both were on a maintenance level, so a lower level of the binder as we started VIP, or even I think we might've stayed at the full dose, started VIP, and then dropped down to a maintenance level, right? So so I feel like there's, yeah, like JC said, a lot of nuance there. Um, next question. What weird symptoms have people mentioned in your group? Also teeth or dental issues related to mold? Hmm. Well, let's see. Do you want to take the weird weird symptoms part and I'll take the teeth part because I feel like it's appropriate. <laughs> I feel like the
0: the weird symptoms thing is like that's infinite, right? Sirs presents differently for different people because it attacks your weakest part Um, for some people it'll trigger things like autoimmune conditions for other people like yourself it'll trigger gi conditions so the actual symptoms related to SERS feels infinite there's 37 they use for the diagnostic procedure but i would say like really um specific ones we hear about a lot are like stubborn weight gain hair loss plantar fasciitis um Joint pain is a huge one, especially in the knees, or like uh, morning back stiffness, where you feel like I—I I feel like I can describe this really well. But it feels like if you move wrong, your back is going to snap. Like that is a very specific but common SIRS symptom. Um, but plantar fasciitis. I did mention that one. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. No, Migraines.
1: Totally um, sorry, I'm going to throw random things. Go ahead. Let's
0: yeah. Sibo H. Pylori. Like I, I, we could just list symptoms all day. So I don't think that's super productive.
1: That's a good point, point. and as far the for the dental part, man, so a like some ridiculous percentage of people with SIRS have uh staff or markons in their nose um so uh sorry, I hope I didn't accidentally mute you j c um so with the staff that. Is all near your dental stuff, right now? My experience is that I have had to have some dental work, and that's why I, I uh, wanted to go for this question. There is some connection between lots of dental work, or even some dental work, like even getting your wisdom teeth removed, which happens to almost everybody um, these days. But the that just having dental work uh, increases your risk of developing Marcons. So there's, there's like a chicken and egg thing there. And of course, if you're predisposed to not handling biotoxins well, and you go into situations like that, I feel like it's just like a, a cycle that can feed itself um, and, and go the wrong way. So yes, there's a relation between uh, teeth and dental issues and SIRS.
0: And just to quickly add to this, I think the two places that you're going to physically see like negative health impact are your skin. So if you have like, rashes or outbreaks or stuff like that. And then your teeth. I don't know how many people know this, but your saliva is actually your blood minus the red blood cells. So it's literally whatever is floating around in your bloodstream is in your saliva. So if you have junk in your bloodstream, you're going to have junk in your mouth.
1: I love how you put that. That's <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> I quick. do <laughs> though, man, that's going to stick with people. I feel. Um, all right do you remain carnivore for your autoimmune condition or for other reasons?
0: I think um, we both have a similar answer to this. Like carnivore is just a really great foundation to better health. It kind of takes out all of the extracurricular nonsense where it's like, this is my baseline of best health. I can choose to eat, not carnivore, but I know that I'm then implementing things that are going to create more variables for my health baseline. And especially as I'm healing, it's like, I don't want to deal with all the nonsense. And we've talked about like the random things that carnivore helps us with, like not having dandruff or canker sores. And it's like, when you're going through chronic illness, it's like you want as little nonsense in your life as possible. So I know for myself, um, it's both to give myself the best health possible and best chance for healing possible, but also to just like remove all the clutter.
1: Absolutely. I definitely feel my best when I am eating carnivore, regardless of anything. Um, I do enjoy the equivalent of like a monthly cheat, whatever that is, like a dessert type of cheat. So I'm, uh, you know, I, I want to, I would, I think even after I heal, I would like to maintain that kind of lifestyle heavily meat-based carnivore. And then, you know, the occasion, the, the knowledge that I can have like a cheat, you know, on a, on a holiday or on vacation or, you know, just that, those occasional moments. That's, that's my goal as far as, you know, after full treatment and healing. Um, we there's one question here did uh, did you have sers symptoms since bartending barbara um yes the the thing and i this is a good point to make if you have sers so you are the one in four people who are predisposed to not being able to eliminate biotoxins when you encounter that biotoxin just leaving that environment doesn't necessarily it can make you a slightly better possibly but it the symptoms will remain, the issues will remain until you actually go through treatment. So yes, I basically, I mean, I may have had GI issues even before then. There are other things that could have happened earlier in my life that maybe start, could have started the ball rolling on my toxin bucket getting full. But I think once I hit that bartending job in a very moldy environment, I think that's when things took a real turn, um, for the worst. So, so yeah, I think, um, Yes, I've had symptoms since then, to answer your question.
0: Uh, Next question, if we were looking to start with one lab to help determine if SIRS is at play, would MSH be appropriate? I think it's really hard to say one. Um, So when you're looking at SIRS blood work, there's really two parts to it. The first part is the genetic haplotypes, which helps you identify which biotoxins you might be sensitive to. And the second half is the innate immune markers. So the problem with SIRS is that your innate immune system never hands off to your adaptive immune system, meaning you never produce antibodies that actually help you eliminate the biotoxins. So instead of looking for like typical autoimmune blood markers like rheumatoid factor or um, CRP, stuff like that, you're actually looking for innate immune response. MSH is one of six blood markers that they specifically look for for SIRS. So I think if you're looking at one lab, one lab isn't going to give you the full picture. You could have low MSH because you have uh, pituitary gland issues. I think you need to look at the full picture. But if you have the eight of the 13 symptom clusters and you fail the vision test, it's indicated that you should pursue the blood work. And there's really no downside to doing that um, because it's going to really help you understand yes or no, you have SARS. It's not going to be this like, okay, I'm going to do MSH. And if that's slow, then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this. It's almost like you are um, just delaying the inevitable at that point. So.
1: um, Yeah, I completely agree. And I, and just to point out um, for me, my blood markers, my TGF beta one and C4A were pretty normal so if I had only tested those, I might go, oh, maybe I'm fine. Uh, but my MSH was like undetectable, super low. So so in, in your situation, if I'd only tested MSH, like maybe I would have been like, oh, okay, I have SIRS, but um, but maybe you will have the opposite situation. So, So yeah, it's a really good idea to get that round, well-rounded result.
0: Mm, especially since one of the haplotypes is low MSH. So it's like that's a confounding factor. So MSH might be the least appropriate in that sense. Um yeah. it would be hard for me to say like this is the one you should do.
1: Yeah. And some people don't um it, it's it'll be hard for them to raise their MSH their whole life for that re- you know like so that's yeah, exactly. I think that was the point you were just making.
0: <laughs> Next uh, step. Ne- yeah, go for it. How do you know when it's appropriate to ask an employer to remediate versus having to seek new employment?
1: Hmm. I mean how much do you love your job? That's what I would ask. Like do you do you love your job because there there are so many jobs out there and I think sometimes people I and I work with a lot of people in in this realm so that's why I'm where I'm pulling from but a lot of people think that what they know is is familiar and comfortable and they're scared to go outside of that. So so I would ask yourself do you love your job? Is this something, you know, do you love your employer? That's also important. But if they're both kind of meh, I mean, I would, I would, and you, it doesn't hurt to look. You don't have to take another job. I would, I would definitely look into looking at other jobs. Maybe even working remotely if you know your home is safe. You know, that might be both JC and I work remotely, um, kind of because that's a lifestyle preference, but also like that really eliminates another factor of like eight hours a day being somewhere where we don't have as much control. I would
0: say for me, there's no downside in asking. Like either they're going to say no and you have to get a new job or you have to get a new job. So you might as well ask and then see where it goes from there. I think that's what I would do is just, uh, and also they don't know what they don't know. So they might not know that they have a bad environment. They might not know about mold illness. So just making them aware and bringing that to the table and seeing how they respond to that. Like as an employee, I think that would be very valuable to know how my employer feels about making my environment safe for me. So I would, I would just ask,
1: go with JC's first and then, and then, and then do the existential stuff that I talked about.
0: (laughs) Then question your whole existence, your purpose (laughs) in life,
1: your passions, what you want to go there. I go there way too soon. Sometimes. Um, what is VIP?
0: VIP is vasoactive intestinal peptide. It is a natural hormone made by the human body. But when you have SIRS because of the low MSH, typically this is very low in SIRS patients. So it's supplemented at the end. And it's the really cool one. I'm going to nerd out for just a second. It's the really cool step of the protocol that helps correct any incorrect genomic expression that was caused by SIRS. So because of the chronic inflammation, it actually changes how your genes express themselves in your body. Fascinating. I know you guys are at the edges of your seats, but the VIP is the part that turns off the errant genes that turned on because of the chronic inflammation. So it's like,
1: to me, it's the coolest step of SIRS. And JC felt amazing getting onto VIP. I will out you on that. Like it, it really, for me, the binders were the most impactful, like clearing out toxins. I felt like so much better so quickly. And that happened to JC as well, but she got to another level with, with the VIP spray, which, uh, and some, for some people that happens. And that is why. Um, two, did, oh, two go ahead.
0: questions in a row about oh. tension in ligaments or their swelling wall on binders. And then the second question is, do people experience tendon and ligament problems
1: with SERS? Yes. I will it's let call- you take this, yeah.
0: It's called enthesis or enthesitis. Um, my SERS provider recently told me that there's something really specific about the synovial fluid in knees that Lyme likes to attack. So if you do have like chronic knee pain and it's not resolving with SERS treatment, it could be because you have an underlying Lyme issue. Um, but also the TGF beta one is a tissue remodeler. And so that's one of the elevated blood markers typically found in SERS patients. And the people with elevated TGF beta one typically have the joint problems, the ligament problems, the tendon problems. Um, for me, I couldn't walk for a period of time uh, without a cane. And I almost had to go to using a wheelchair because it was just so painful for me to actually move my joints because of the enthesis synthesitis. And so um SIRS has completely resolved that for me. I haven't done any other sort of like PT or treatment for that outside of SIRS treatment. And it's completely resolved. I can run now, which I never thought was going to be a possibility for me this time last year.
1: Yeah. Amazing. Um, Let's see. Do you, do you think you can heal with binders if living in some mold? Hurts me score 14. Florida is so hard to find a mold-free place to live.
0: Yeah. I, I, Florida is God forsaken. Like the entire state just needs to be scrapped, in my opinion. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going I'm talking trash because I came from there. But um yeah, I was living in a home in Florida with a 10 Hertz Me score. I started binders there and I started to get improvement on the binders in the 10 score place, but it wasn't until I left that I had exponential healing. So I think what some people will experience is like some initial improvement and then they'll kind of stall. So I would say like, if you can get started on the binders and you feel improvement to the point where you're like capable of moving, that would be the ideal situation.
1: Yeah. Um, some practitioners may not treat someone if they currently live in a place with a hurts Me score of 14. So that's, you know, you can find a practitioner that will work with you. You know, some practitioners are a little bit more, Hey, real life is, is happening, like maybe you can't move for a few months because you're locked into a lease, you know, you can decide whether or not, you know, you want to just postpone treatment and wait till that situation uh, can be fixed. Um, some people do start the binders and they don't feel super great because you are still in exposure. Um, at the same time, it could still help you along like JC experience. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's tough. It is tough. I feel like there's probably some decent places still in the south maybe, maybe not. I All think, right.
0: <laughs> um, so one interesting thing is according to the EPA, 50% of buildings are water damaged, but that water damage doesn't have to be a leak. It can be your humidity is over 50%. So if your home is regularly over 50% humidity, you don't even need to have a leak. So you just feel like the potential for mold is greater in that kind of environment, it's not necessarily like you can't live there. I think it's going to be harder to live there and you're going to have to be more careful. But if you have like, if you socially have more benefit from living there and it makes that extra effort for your physical health worth it, like if you have family there or you live on the beach and that's been your life dream, like I see that as still being worthwhile for you specifically, but it's going to be very individual about how much effort you're willing to put into your living environment.
1: Um, All right. I live in the Southeast and I'm surrounded by mold because of humidity. Uh, Is there a state that you would recommend would be best to live in for the least amount of mold? Well, okay. So so the, the one caveat to going to a drier climate is that the mold species that do exist in the drier climates have less competition. So sometimes... This can mean a, wor- a worse situation, you know, depending on the water damage and all the other fun stuff going on. That said, uh, I grew up and lived in um, uh, California my entire life. And, ju- and before I knew about SERS, I moved to Las Vegas and I immediately felt better. So um, there is something to how dry it h- is here in Nevada, I think is a good thing. JC now lives in Colorado also a dry climate. Um, What are your thoughts on that, JC? Yeah,
0: I would say probably drier is better. Um, Even though you don't have the competition for the like healthy mold species, I think the goal should still be like no mold species (laughs) in your home. Um, So even here in Colorado over the summer, um, I tested my home and it was a three hurts me. We had AC issues where it was like leaking into the ceiling and it was just like stagnant water in the ceiling. Yeah. That cringe face still hurts me three. And then just recently we had the hot water heater burst and flooded and still hurts me three. And I just keep retesting. Cause I'm like, Oh man, <laughs> what is happening? But I think you just, it's less effort. Like you can be here and in a drier environment, and it's just less effort to remain in a safe environment.
1: Next question. You? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay, it
0: froze for me a second there. What was that?
1: Yeah, you're back. I just I called out that it was frozen for a second, oh. but we're good. Looks like we're back. So next question is: uh, maintenance level. Should we expect to be on binders indefinitely? I have heard of a practitioner telling a patient, yes, binders indefinitely. I don't like that. (laughs) I don't accept that personally. Um, I feel like that doesn't make any sense. I don't know, JC, maybe I'm talking too much, but what do you think?
0: Um, so it's not binders indefinitely. I think that there's a certain aspect of like, um, There's going to be a certain amount of binders you can take where it eliminates the biotoxins to a point that you feel better. But then beyond that, like if you continue to take the binders, it's like, well, maybe there's still biotoxins left and you can further empty your toxin bucket. I don't see benefit to being on the binders long-term, especially from the concept of your body builds resilience. So over time, it's like the biotoxins in your body might become resilient to the binder. So I don't think it should be like a long, long long-term thing. I think six to 12 months on the binders is fairly normal. And then if you're re-exposed, you'll have to go back onto the binders for a couple of weeks, just to make sure you get the biotoxins out and then you're good to go. So no, you're not on binders indefinitely, but there is some maintenance involved if you do have an exposure event.
1: Perfect. Um, if haplotype is one five NA, it indicates low MSH. Does it mean that your MSH will always be low regardless of the therapy that you do?
0: No, not necessarily. So there's not a ton of research on low MSH. Um, my SERS provider is actually one of the the only SERS providers who has specifically done testing on this haplotype. It does mean that you're more likely to experience pain conditions, um, but it also means that uh, to get your MSH raised, it takes more effort. But it's not um, it won't always be low. It's just you have more maintenance, you have more therapies you need to do in order to keep it high. It's more prone to being low. I think that's how
1: I would put it. Mm-hmm. Um question, do you have MTHFR? I have co- compound MTFR.
0: Yes. Um so the, the MTHFR is common in SERS people, I have it. Um it it seems like there's a correlation there. But I was saying this in the SERS group the other day, and I think I'm the only one who finds this as interesting as I do, but like a lot of the haplotypes associated with SARS have protective qualities in other aspects of our life. So for example, a lot of the um, haplotypes for autoimmune conditions were actually found in people who survived the Black Plague. So it's like being capable of suppressing that viral load apparently means you're more susceptible to autoimmune conditions. So it's like the haplotypes are good and bad, just like any other gene.
1: And can you explain MTHFR or MTFR for anybody who's like, what?
0: Yeah, it's um, a gene that has been identified as super prone to autoimmune
1: conditions. Got it. Is well call less constipating than cholestyramine, I'm assuming, is uh, the rest of the question. Neither of us took cholestyramine. So I personally can't compare. Um, I know that well call as a binder in the binding effect that it has is only one fourth as effective as cholestyramine. I, it's possible that the side effects would then be also less. That's, that's probably a common experience, but I think everybody's so bioindividual it's, it's hard to, it's hard to say.
0: Yeah. Well call is definitely known to be less or it's easier to tolerate than cholesteroline, which is why a lot of people will take the hit on the being less effective for having less impact on their like general well-being. Um it's less exhausting, it's less constipating, you're less likely to have reactions to it. It's also a more convenient format because it's a pill versus a powder.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely more um adherence. Uh, There's a better word for that uh, with patients because it's like, it's a, it's just easier to take. Um, What do you recommend for constipation on carnivore when increased fat doesn't help? Our favorite thing is magnesium citrate or citrate, however you pronounce it, right?
0: Yeah, but recently, um, Christian and I had a conversation where um, magnesium chloride is a really bioavailable form of magnesium, and it doesn't have the citric acid in it. And the reason you might want to avoid citric acid, especially if you're having histamine reactions or mast cell activation syndrome, also known as MCAS, is because citric acid is um, in its production is made out of black mold. So a lot of people who are mold sensitive probably don't want to be taking mag citrate. So if you are sensitive to that, try magnesium
1: chloride instead. And that will still have like the, the make you go. Yep. It's fun, fun aspects of magnesium citrate. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, I didn't. I, I don't think I had any issues taking magnesium citrate, and and just like one every other day ended up being a perfect amount for me personally. I take two, two a day,
0: so yeah, it's exactly. Very thank,
1: thank you. Yes, there is a range. Um, some people had to take more than just two a day uh, to combat the effects of the constipation. So so definitely play with that and like start at one a day. I think is like a good uh, whatever that dose is that you get. Um, you know, start there and and adjust as needed. You may have a couple uncomfortable days but, you know, maybe do it over the weekend when you're home. Uh, <laughs> and then why would well make me feel like I'm losing my mind? Tried taking it three years ago.
0: I think this um, just highlights how important it is to work with a SERS practitioner. A lot of people, especially if you have high MMP9, which is another one of those blood markers that indicates SERS, don't tolerate the binders as well. Uh, but also if you are still in the midst of exposure, um, basically, surge shuts down your immune system. It doesn't work correctly. So, anything you do to detox, including taking the biotoxin binders, is putting pressure on a system that isn't working correctly. It's like trying to ride a bicycle with a dented wheel. And so, if you're working with a practitioner, they can kind of help you pace that, engage that, and they'll have, you know, different tricks up their sleeve to help you through that. For example, they could prescribe low dose VIP to get your MSH high enough that you can tolerate the binders. And it's kind of like this stair-step approach um, to treatment. But that would be my assumption is either you were still in exposure or you had really high MMP9.
1: Yep. Was sleeping an issue while on the binders? Uh, No, uh, actually the opposite. One of the biggest side effects that we see amongst members, and certainly JC and I both experienced, was almost narcoleptic levels of fatigue in the first couple weeks. Um, I mean, I had to just like, I, I just laid down and went to sleep in the middle of the day in the first couple weeks of being on the binders like that. Just, I was just that tired. Um, so for, for us, for a lot of people, it seems to actually help with sleep. And then that does seem to go away. Like your body gets used to it. And of course, you know, when you work with a practitioner, they're going to start you slow and slowly build you up. In a way to to minimize those side effects, but that that was my experience with the binders and sleep.
0: Yeah, uh, same. I was narcoleptic, but the other thing to consider is, you know, when you're going through surge treatment, is like you are correcting so much downstream impact in your body. And one of those issues, a lot of people experience is sleep issues when they have SIRS. And so as your body starts to correct and level out, it's not only, um, adapting to being on the binders and adapting to the detox processes, but it's also adapting to the new hormone levels you're providing for yourself. So there's just, there's three levers there, just like in a vacuum, let alone like nutrition, stress levels, limbic retraining, like all of that impacts it. So it's, it's hard to say this one thing when you're talking about SIRS, because it's just multi-system, multi-symptom. There's a lot involved.
1: For sure. Uh, Barbara, how much have your GI issues improved? Sorry if TMI never TMI, I'm always about poop. Uh, also why does SIRS mold exposure cause sleep issues? Okay, so I'll do the GI issue part, um, obviously, because um, it's about me. Um, I so, so my GI issues um, presented as basically low-grade diarrhea, just as my normal for years. So that was fun. Um, definitely pain, like stomach pain or like bowel pain or whatever. Also, like depending on what I ate. So that's what where I was before carnivore and before um, SIRS treatment. Carnivore, if anything, made the diarrhea part worse, and then it kind of got a little bit better, but never truly improved. And that's why I dug into SIRS and got treatment and all of that. Now that I am where I'm at in SIRS treatment, which is towards the end, um, things have improved quite a bit as long as I stay carnivore if i'm not carnivore if i just eat like the equivalent of a donut i'm mostly okay but if i like start to add a couple things you know every day then it just my gi just goes off the rails so i am in the point now where i am looking at supportive therapies for my gut healing process cuz sometimes you need to clear out sirs before you can then attack the the downstream effect which is you know, leaky gut probably in my situation. And that can be done in a number of ways I'm going to be looking at, but I haven't chosen what path to do first. Really. I'm going to be looking at like SIBO treatment, like an herbal antibiotic, basically what the, you know, what a holistic doctor would normally do for SIBO. I'm going to try that possibly. I'm also uh, doing DNRS, which is limbic retraining. Um, because I think that a lot of my Past trauma and stress I hold in my gut. I think that's why that was such a prominent symptom for me. So I'm going to be doing uh, more of like brain re- rewiring stuff as well, and just lowering stress, um, continuing to eat better, continuing to support my gut in whatever way that I can. Sorry, that was kind of long winded, but I thought all of that information was important. No, absolutely. And um, why did do, why does SERS- there's Why does SIRS exposure cause sleep issues? I mean, for a lot of people, it's like the frequent urination will wake them up. And if you're waking up to pee in the middle of the night, that's um, a good indication of SIRS. But um, JC, do you want to elaborate on that?
0: Yeah, so- The inflammation creates cytokines, which are inflammatory proteins, and they will actually attach to the leptin receptors in your brain, um, which then impacts your ability to produce MSH. MSH is melanocyte-stimulating hormone. It plays a lot of random effects in the body, including um, uh, maintaining the tight junctions of the gut. So it can cause, if it's low, it can cause leaky gut symptoms. But another thing it's um, very productive in is helping you create melatonin. So a lot of people who have SIRS will experience non-restful sleep because they don't have the hormones necessary to help them get REM.
1: Beautiful. This is why we keep JC around, guys. She just knows this (laughs) stuff off the top of her friggin' head. Um, All right. I tested for mold toxicity and on a protocol levels are dropping. Should I continue to test for SIRS? Um, I'm guessing if you're testing for mold toxicity, is this maybe the urine test? And, um, the urine test is specifically testing what your body is eliminating. So if it's dropping, Silence. yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. i'm I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at me being dumb right now. Uh, <laughs> JC, I yeah, I don't know. And we might need more information for for this, but I I I'm, I'm curious about what protocol you're on as well, Susie, if you want to leave that. I know we've got a lot of messages to get through, but um, if you want to say what you are, the, the only one that we've, that is clinically proven and peer reviewed as a protocol to treat SIRS, to treat mold illness, all of this is the Shoemaker protocol. So unless that's the protocol, I um, am not sure about what protocol you are on.
0: Yeah, I think with mold toxicity, you know, mold plays two different negative impacts on the body. One is the direct impact of a biotoxin, meaning everyone who is exposed to like black mold is going to feel that black mold, whether you have SIRS or not, mold is bad it has direct impact on your nerves and nerve functions. The urine tests typically test what you are eliminating. And so to Barbara's point, if your levels are dropping, it means that you're no longer eliminating that mold, which either means A, you're out of exposure, you're not being exposed to that mold and your body has no more to eliminate, or B, your body is no longer eliminating that mold. So I personally would still do the symptom cluster and VCS test to see if blood work is indicated to move forward with a SERS diagnosis.
1: Beautiful. Uh, Tori asks, I am just starting my SERS protocol, but is there any way to increase concentration in the meantime?
0: Yeah, there's definitely some levers you can pull. Um, I always say like when you're first starting in your SIRS protocol, most people, you know, there's a certain amount of waiting before you can actually get started on the binder. You have to like get the blood work, wait for the diagnosis, schedule with a provider. Typically they have wait times to get in, but there are things you can do right now to start feeling better. One is to find your unique combination of biohacks, for lack of a better term, that make you feel your best. This will not only make you feel better now, but it'll also help you tolerate the treatment better. So most people find that sun exposure, if you don't have histamine reactions to it is very helpful because it's one of the only things that raises your MSH. Also making sure that you are eating, you know, keto macros, carnivore diet, eliminating all of that excess clutter in your life. If you can have like a very like gentle, but scalable exercise approach that will actually help with uh, one of your blood markers called VEGF. And it will actually help you feel more energy, even though it's like You lose energy doing it, but you have to do it very skilled. You don't want to have like a push and crash. So personally, like I do five minutes of exercise a day. That's it. Um, But yeah, those are some things you can do like right now to feel better.
1: Um, Another big one is limbic retraining. And I think you can speak a little bit better to that. Sure. Um, Yeah, there's I mean, there's a lot of ways about of doing limbic retraining. It's basically rewiring your brain to not overreact to triggers and also to um, to know that you're safe now, basically, for, for lack of uh, better ways of putting it. I know that pre, uh, prior traumas, pri- you know, a long experience with chronic illness is a traumatic thing for anyone to go through. Um, and so your body is like, tries to make shortcuts in itself to deal with that kind of thing. And so if you are, if your body's constantly ready for everything to suck, basically, it's, it's just, you're going to be in constant fight or flight mode all the time. And that in and of itself is very taxing on the system and uh, can prevent you from getting better. So uh, for anybody who has that kind of trauma in their life, or again, has even just experienced SERS for a long time without realizing what it was like, that is trauma. So uh, limbic retraining, um, you can sign up for a program, an online program like DNRS or the Gupta program. Um, those are options, but you can also, you know, journal, meditate, do yoga. If that feels good to you, um, all the biohacking that JC just talked about the sauna, if you're okay with that, some people have a bad reaction in the sauna. So test that out for yourself, but um, there's just Uh, improving your life in any way that you possibly can if you have a really terrible employer like I said earlier and like take steps to leave that environment Um, you know whatever that takes make that a priority Uh, lower the stress in your life I know that's easier said than done but the little things that you can do um, uh, really do add up so I think that that's uh, that's yeah that's what I would say to that Um, And I do want to just say this comment out loud. Sabrina says uh, her employer shut down their whole office and moved us to a new location for everyone's safety. If your employer isn't responsive, time to find a new one. Amen. Amen to that. Uh, Next question. So would VIP reverse autoimmune diseases like Hashimoto's?
0: Theoretically, yes. I'm excited to see this for myself because I did the genetic testing for my autoimmune condition. I have something called HLA-B27. Um, so they've actually shown through genie testing um, and genie testing is the specific genetic uh marker testing. It's an additional thing of blood work you can get on your SERS journey, Uh, but it shows what genes have been turned on by SERS And then after VIP, they've actually shown that some of those genes turn off. So it would be really interesting for me to see what it does with my autoimmune uh, genetic marker specifically. So Sarah, I'll keep keep you tuned on that one.
1: Yep. Uh, James says we are awesome. You are awesome, James. Thank you for that. Tori asks, I, uh, I started binders and was feeling great, but then all of a sudden I felt worse than before I started the binder. Is this normal? We've certainly seen it happen. Yeah. What were you going to say?
0: I mean, just to really quickly say it's the, it's the bicycle with the dented wheel. You're putting pressure on a system that isn't working well. And that's why it's so important to work with a provider who knows what they're talking about, because they're going to have those tips and tricks to keep you feeling your best or possibly, you know, change the order of the steps so that you're doing the VIP spray before, so that you can raise your MSH. So you feel better on the binders.
1: Yep. Um, Do resverstrol and curcumin decrease TGF-beta-1 and C4A? Uh,
0: yes. So our provider actually told us this and I thought it was a really great approach to SIRS is like anything you can do to treat inflammation is treating SIRS, right? Because it's chronic inflammatory response syndrome. It's um, treating the inflammation isn't necessarily going to eliminate what's causing the inflammation, but it does help correct all of those blood markers. So both of those supplements are known to reduce inflammation. I think more specifically TGF beta one and curcumin, I know there's studies on that. If you can tolerate curcumin, it's super powerful t- for TGF beta one specific C4A is a bit different. Um, it's a complement factor and it's typically increased in the presence of an exposure. Um, so I think that resver- um and curfew- curcumin are probably less effective on C4A than TGF beta 1. But again, anything you can do to lower your inflammation levels generally
1: is a good thing. Um, okay, this one is very uh, UK specific. Or, well, I should say, it's Europe specific, I should say. Um, So in Germany, uh, I can't test the SERS markers. Sending everything to the US or the UK is super expensive and often doesn't work because logistics take too long. After how many months of binders would you test? Full carnivore since one and a half years, binders full dose since two months. So two two months of being on the full binders. Um, how, How often would, I mean, you can go by symptoms. At that point, um I know our our practitioner actually relies more on symptoms than than he did on testing um and and again, that's where a practitioner, if you can find someone to work with who knows what to look for in that situation, they can be um a little bit they could just time the testing a little bit better because they'll the symptoms might make things a little bit more obvious as to when to test um JC, would you add to that?
0: Yeah, um, the VCS test, the visual contrast sensitivity test, is a really great way to pace your treatment as well. So when you are loaded with biotoxins, typically you're less able to pass it. Even if you pass it, your scores will still improve as you get better. Um, So it's actually a really great diagnostic criteria, but also it's really great to see how You know, track your progress through the protocol itself. So, if I were in your situation, I would probably leverage that VCS test to see how I'm doing. If I failed it before, once I start passing it, it would be like when I would look into doing more blood work.
1: Yes, I can't believe I forgot the VCS test. Of course, brilliant. And um, we, and then the the question continues now into Lyme. Uh, We're pretty sure that I have the Lyme HLA. Does that increase the probability of having the mold HLA? And then also, the question is, can you explain the process if you have Lyme? Um, yeah. Yeah. So
0: the Lyme and mold HLAs aren't necessarily related. I think that if you have one of the haplotypes for SERS, you're very likely to have two of the haplotypes for SERS, but those two aren't directly related. Um, it's more of a genetic, you get, you know, half your genes from your mom and half your genes from your dad. So if both your mom and your dad come from like genetic pools that are likely to have uh, the SERS haplotypes, then you're very likely to have three or four. Um, for Lyme, you're going to want to work with a Lyme literate practitioner. Lyme is the biotoxin. So when we talk about the steps to the Shoemaker Protocol, the first step is removing exposure for people who are in mold that's getting out of the moldy environment. For people with Lyme, that's controlling the Lyme to a point that you can
1: move forward with the SERS protocol. All right. Um... We uh we will want to wrap up relatively soon, but I do see there are a lot of messages still coming through. So um maybe we'll do we'll go a little quicker so we can get through some more of these. Does carpet hold on to mold? Um it's worse than like a hardwood situation, I would say, or a laminate or a tile. Tile would probably be the 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 least toxic, maybe of this of the possible floorings you could choose. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean go rip out all your carpet immediately I think getting like an IEP um, an indoor environmental professional is what that means uh, to to kind of assess your specific situation would would be the best thing to do for carpet.
0: Yeah. And that's uh, um, something that providers will recommend too. Instead of doing like a whole home remediation, you could always start with soft surfaces to see if eliminating that improves your environment enough that you can get well. So carpet is normally the first lever that they recommend when you're looking into that.
1: Yeah. Uh, Sarah asks, I'm thinking about this as a practitioner and how I support clients. What's the arc slash timeline of healing and what does cure look like with SIRS? Great question. Um, so as far as the timeline of healing, um, we've seen like 12 to 18 months can can be like from start to finish. Um, and again, that that means no re-exposures, that means no setbacks, um, which can happen. You know, we've seen some of our members they go on vacation and they stay in an in an Airbnb for like a full month. This isn't just like walk. It's not necessarily that you just walk into a moldy building for like ten minutes leave and like you get full, you know, if you're reacting that badly, then your toxin bucket was already pretty full to begin with. So you um, depending on how healed you are also kind of affects like at the timing of the exposure with how healed you are, I should say, affects the length of time. Um, but basically, once you are through the protocol and healed, you can go through life feeling relatively safe, just be on alert for the possible mold exposures or whatever your biotoxin is, exposures to that biotoxin. And um, it's a good idea to have you know, some of the binders on hand and some of the supportive things where you don't have to go through the entire lengthy protocol again when you get re-exposed because now you're just treating that one little moment rather than the entire lifetime potentially that you've been exposed previously. So that first initial treatment, when you discover SIRS for the first time is probably going to be the hardest. Um, and then after that, it's more about maintenance and just being vigilant and, um, you know, maintaining all the best practices that you possibly can while still living your life.
0: Yeah. And then you have all the tools from when you first went through treatment to just knock it out pretty quickly. So I would say, um, there's no cure for your genes, right? (laughs) You were born with them. Um, but you can manage it really easily. And I would say that we have led very normal lives, even through treatment. We've traveled normally, et cetera. Yep. Someone asked, I'm very new to the concept of SARS as possibly being a root cause of my autoimmune arthritis. Yes, I would agree with that. <laughs> Where would be a good first place to learn about the basics like SIRS for dummies starting point? Um, I have Someone mentioned Judy Cho has a lot of great resources. She does. We also have a podcast. Um, if you go to the Surge group on YouTube, I created a series of videos on Lady Carnivory. And then if you join the SERS group.com, we do have a primer as well as other resources, shared experiences.
1: Um, so those would be the places I would start. Uh, What is the best way to find a service practitioner near where you live? I live in Virginia now. After moving out of South Carolina, I found someone on survivingmold.com and have my first appointment May 1st. You did what we would have told you. (laughs) Um, Just go to survivingmold.com. That is the only certified list uh, of shoemaker trained practitioners that you want to pull from. Not everyone requires an in-person visit. So being near you is not necessarily the important thing. Um, JC and I have never met our practitioner, for example. So some of them do require, like let's say the first visit is in person and maybe that travel distance matters to you, like it probably does. Uh, so, so you can pick people based on that, but also I would keep calling around um, to find one that is willing to just see you via telehealth um, if, if there is no one near you. Someone asked how much is well call
0: and CSM per month with no insurance? I think my well call without insurance is 150 per month. That would be the out-of-pocket. And I think CSM compounded is similar. Um, and you would want to get the compounded version um, so that you get the pure powder because the capsules have a lot of crap in them. It's like rice flour and nonsense that you're paying for for no reason.
1: Right. I think my, uh, my insurance didn't really cover it. So I went with like the GoodRx coupon and it was about that price. Um, does surge treatment also take care of co-infections?
0: It depends on the co-infection. So for example, if you have Lyme, you're going to want to do a Lyme treatment during with, um, as part of your surge treatment. Uh, Markons is one co-infection that's specifically addressed in the surge protocol. Um, and there's 12 steps to the Shoemaker protocol. You have to do at least three of them, remove exposure, take the binders, do the VIP spray, but the rest are indicated by your blood work and your symptoms, um, so depending on that is when those different like downstream effects would be taken care of. Um, and as part of that, your service practitioner may refer you out to like a GI specialist or a rheumatologist if you're continuing
1: to have these co-infections. Yep. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, I was told to use magnesium oxide. This is in reference to our earlier magnesium conversation. Um, I mean, if you're told to take something... Take it, (laughs) uh, try it at least if your practitioner is, is guiding you on that for sure.
0: I'm going to skip down to the next question. What type of carnivore do you recommend higher protein or higher fat? What percentage fat protein?
1: Ah, this question.
0: I I think it, it's so bio-individual. Um, I also think that, you know, saying higher protein or higher fat, like those are, words that mean nothing. Um, when you're talking about actual ratios, that can be helpful. I think a lot of people find 80, 20 keto macros healing, um, at the same time, um, a lot of people with SIRS have a lot of metabolic impact from that. So I would say eat as best as you can like whatever that looks like for you, whatever makes you feel your best through treatment is going to be the best diet for you. So when we're talking about the ideal or perfect carnivore diet, it's going to be the one that's easy, sustainable, accessible for you and makes you feel good. Um, and anyone who tells you differently, like if you're vibing on your carnivore diet and someone's like, Oh, you're doing it wrong. You need to use sticker butter a day. They're objectively wrong.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I, I have found, uh, I don't really track my macros. I I definitely eat what i want to eat and what makes me feel my best and i kind of let that you know i throw butter on everything that's my adding fat but you know um that's i'm looking for the next question
0: considering that the sun is raising msh can we assume that there is a direct correlation between low vitamin d and msh Mm, yes, I think there's definitely a correlation. I think it. Would, I, I think correlation is the right word. I don't think you can say causation. Um, vitamin D is a supplement I've been taking throughout my service protocol specifically because I was having histamine reactions to the sun. Um, and I do think it was helpful. So if you are someone who does get histamine reactions and that can look like a sun rash, which we normalize, it's not normal. You shouldn't be having a histamine reaction to sunlight. Um, vitamin D might be your entry point to raising your
1: MSH until you can build the tolerance to be out in the sunlight. Right. Um, can carnivore make you worse ever since going carnivore? I felt amazing for two weeks and I've gotten worse. Is it because carnivore is exposing the true state of my body or could it be just be SIRS? I have every symptom of all the clusters. Oh gosh. I'm so sorry.
0: Yeah, for me, carnivore and harder was not a good idea. When I went lion diet, I developed histamine reactions to beef. There's also a lot about the metabolic impact of SIRS. It uh, prevents your body from mobilizing fat stores, but it also makes it harder to run gluconeogenesis. So gluconeogenesis is the process of converting protein into usable glucose in the body. So for people who aren't eating glucose, um, carnivores, uh, that process is a lot harder. So one thing you can try leveraging is eat, uh, like 20 grams of carbs a day and see if that makes you feel better. I was doing that for a while when I was like mid surge. is like, I just felt like crap all the time, but including like 20 grams of carbs in my day, just evened out my baseline. And it was something I had to figure out because, um, if I ate too many carbs, it would start, increasing my depression symptoms. So it's going to be a very bio-individual thing too. Yep.
1: Um, If there's a correlation between vitamin D and MSH, is there any research done how different it is to get it by sun exposure versus the pill? I mean, sun is always going to be better. The real thing, just like getting your, your, any vitamin through actual food is always going to be better than taking a pill or an, you know, a drop of whatever. Um, That said, depending on where you live, um, you can, you can try tanning beds. That's another way. Um, I do that. I know it doesn't look it, but I do. And then, um, but you know, you can also, if you can't go outside, there's tanning beds, but then also, if if the pill is the best that you can do, then do that. That's what That's- I would say to that. I've been on
0: ultra low carb for years, including carnivore for months and literally the same number on the scale. Will I ever drop weight perhaps? So there's a lot to this. One is um, with SIRS, it's hard to mobilize fat stores, gluconeogenesis, but also the cytokines, which are the inflammatory proteins that latch onto the leptin receptors in your brain. Leptin receptors are what tell your body you are full. And so when you have that, Impacting you. Um, I know with my own SERS journey, like it's been a wild ride in terms of my weight. I started underweight because I had prepped for a bikini competition, gained, you know, 30 pounds over the year. I had a lot of like binge eating behaviors. It wasn't from like a disordered eating place, it was just like I was ravenous all of the time. So, this is totally normal. I just want to normalize this for you. You're not crazy. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken. This is SERS. Um, And Just going through SIRS treatment, I lost weight like without trying. It would. I weighed myself like a month after. It was two months after starting the binder, and I dropped ten pounds without even trying. And I was like, "Oh man, I need to keep an eye on this because I don't want to be underweight again." Um, But I really like just want to give you that hope of it's not you. You're not the problem. This is SIRS.
1: Yeah, we did do a whole podcast episode on this topic. And again, we do, did a lot of podcast episodes on a lot of these topics where we can actually take 10, 15 minutes to deep dive on it. Um, but the, yeah, the, the important thing is to heal, heal. And then, you know, your body's not gonna prioritize things like losing weight when it's got like a lot of shit going on, basically. <laughs> so So that would be, yeah, another thing to keep in mind. Uh, what is the deal with muscle spasms and tremors as one of the symptoms of SIRS? Uh,
0: yeah, two things. One is that biotoxins have a direct nerve impact on you. Um, so the the mold or the biotoxin physically in your body is directing your nerve function. But also a lot of people with SIRS have ADH, which is uh, it's the hormone that regulates your kidney function and osmolality, which is the hydration level of your um, veins. So essentially like what is the ratio of liquid to electrolytes in your body? And so most people with SIRS have electrolyte imbalances that they need to correct through
1: SERS treatment.
0: And with electrolyte imbalances, you can get muscle spasms and tremors.
1: Um, what other histamine reactions can be from sun exposure besides a rash? Um, I've gotten like bumps, which is like weird. Cause they go away. They're not, they're just like, like hives, I guess. I don't know if that's what that would be. Um, like a headache, like all, all of like the, any other like, like sun stroke or sun, what's the just overexposed, like heat exposure, any of those kinds of symptoms as well.
0: Yeah. And any of the typical histamine reactions. So like a headache is very normal for if you're having a histamine response, GI problems is another like really common histamine response. Any sort of like appearance on your skin of whether it's a rash or like weird breakouts, I would get that. Um, all of those are like typical histamine responses.
1: So you can actually get those from sun exposure. Yeah. Um, we're at the end of the question. Some really great timing, guys. Good job. Um, so this one's a specific uh, my skin is super sensitive and I get blood bruises under the surface of my skin and it's become very thin. My skin tears easily and bleeds easily. I also have RA and have been on prednisone for more than 10 years at 10 to 25 milligrams a day. Have you heard of this with SIRS?
0: Yeah. I mean, that there's a lot of compounding stuff there that could definitely be part of the prednisone. Um, but also with SIRS, you typically, Another common SARS symptoms is blood clotting issues. Um, And so you can bruise easily, you can bleed easily. I know that when I was at my worst and still in exposure, like if I got a cut, it would just like, I would bleed like water. Like it was just so runny. Um, And that's a very normal thing for
1: SARS people. Uh, I don't want to say normal, common. (laughs) It can happen, yes. Really, I think um, a good takeaway is, I don't know that SIRS treatment is some kind of magic bullet. Like ever since people said that about carnivore, you know, I'm skeptical of any like, oh man, this will cure everything. Um, but man, SIRS causes a lot of friggin' problems. So when I think you'll notice as you go through the healing journey, these things drop off and and maybe some symptoms will go away and then new symptoms will show up that were always there. You just didn't even notice um, because the other ones were so bad. So so people, your healing journey is not going to be like this nice swoop of improvement. It's going to be, um, it's going to have, it's like ebbs and flows as you go through things. So um, definitely uh, I would say SIRS is going to be just such a huge root cause for so many people um, that get through that healing process first and like see where you're at on the other side of it. And then you can start attacking some of the other, um, side stuff, uh, if, if needed at that point.
0: And, um, one last question, cause I think this yeah. one is so important, uh, yes. but Terrence asked after treatment or during, have you mentally felt back to normal? Like where you were before SARS. So before I was treated for SARS, if you asked me what my worst symptom was, I would have told you pain. Cause I was just in pain morning, noon, night all the time. And, um, after going through SIRS treatment, I think the biggest benefit I have felt is not being pain-free, which is amazing. I'm not complaining about that at all, but is I feel like myself again. Like when I had SIRS, I just lost myself. I was depressed. I was moody. I felt like my brain wasn't my own. I almost felt like I was a third party observer to my own life. And since going through treatment, like I feel like myself again, I feel joy again. Um, so yes, Terrence, a hundred percent.
1: Yeah. It's amazing. The impact of chronic illness. I mean, you, you really don't even realize how bad it is until you feel better, which is saying something because people who are in the thick of it feel awful and they are aware of a lot of how bad it is, but when you can compare it to the other side, man, like it's, it sucks. And I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that surge treatment exists because it's just, I mean, yeah, this is just the missing piece for so many people that to get them on the other side. So, yeah. I
0: think that was the perfect ending. Terrence, thank you so much for that yeah. <laughs> softball of an ending question. <laughs> thank you all so much for joining us on this webinar. If you are looking for more resources and support, you can always join us over at the Um We did record this, so we will be posting it. And if you guys need anything, have any questions, just reach out, let us know. And we'd be happy to
1: answer those for you. Absolutely. And I, yeah, we'll actually, we'll email the link once it's up on our YouTube channel, which is where our podcast lives as well. Um, We will send that link out to everybody who registered for this webinar. So if you registered uh, to get this link, then you will get this link uh, for the replay as well. So looking forward to that. Um, Thank you all. Have a wonderful, happy Passover and Easter uh, (laughs) and everything else that's going on uh, and have a great rest of your weekend.